Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Now, I think it would be fascinating to go to the streets of Sacramento and, and ask people to describe or explain heaven. I think that would be fun. Right, Because I would imagine as we compiled those responses, we would have a wide variety of views and perspectives on what heaven is. And I would imagine that some might be based or loosely based on scripture. They might say something to the effect of, yeah, the streets are paved with gold. Or they might reference the pearly gates. They might, they might refer to it as a place of perfection. Others might reference it, and, and it might be based on a, some kind of artistic rendering or pop culture. They might refer to these angelic creatures with huge wings. Or they might say something to the effect of like, yeah, everyone's going to wear a toga, and it'll be awesome, right? <laughs> of course, some of our perspectives on heaven also involve a wish list. Things that we hope heaven will include. Pastor Chris referenced one of the more common ones a couple of weeks ago, the ability to fly. Now, if I'm being real, if I were to give you my version of heaven, it would be a version in which my kids sweetly comply to every request that I make of them, right? Yeah, I got to get some more amens on that one. It would, it would be a place where the golf ball goes where I intended for it to go. It would be a place where Chick-fil-A is open seven days a week, right? It would be a place where the Green Bay Packers lose every year in the playoffs. That already happens. Heaven on earth. Uh, See, this this morning, we're going to talk about the topic of heaven. And we're going to do our best to develop or, or have a biblical understanding of heaven. And we got 30 minutes to do it. No problem, right? No problem. Before we dive in, I want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Erwin Lutzer, who's the author of the book, One Minute After You Die. And also this organization called The Bible Project. Both of them have been super helpful as we com- uh, convey this complex topic. See, now when we consider heaven, we typically think about it or describe it as the place where God dwells. And that's a pretty accurate description. Theologian Wayne Grudem describes heaven as the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. It is in heaven where God most fully reveals his glory and where angels, other heavenly creatures, and redeemed saints, Christians, all worship him. And if we were to oversimplify it, we could say that heaven is God's space, right? Heaven is God's space. And if heaven is God's space, then earth is our space. It's it's where we live. It's the world all around us. The sun, stars, trees, grass, people, our jobs, school, church, and the list goes on and on and on. And we understand earth, our space, is separate from heaven, right? Heaven, God's space, earth, our space, they are separate. But that wasn't always the case. In order for us to develop a biblical perspective on heaven, we have to start at the very beginning of the Bible. 
in the book of Genesis. You see, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 provides us with the story of creation, how God formed the world out of nothing, and how he spoke the earth and everything in it into existence, including the first man and woman who we know as Adam and Eve. And everything that God made was described as being very good. You see, it was in the Garden of Eden that God and man occupied the same space. There was a complete overlap between God's space and our space. And this is exactly how God intended for life to be. See, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is a description. It's a picture of heaven. God and man enjoying each other's company in complete harmony, not only with one another, but in harmony with all that God created. Now, perhaps thinking of the Garden of Eden as heaven is a new concept or it's a new idea for you. But as Wayne Grudem writes, if heaven is where God dwells and he was fully present with Adam and Eve, then the Garden of Eden, right, the, the, the book begins by providing us with this picture of heaven because it's life as God intended, a place where man and God can coexist and live in harmony. Now, unfortunately, we know that that situation didn't last very long because in the very next chapter, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, Satan, and that resulted in their disobedience, right? They, they disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of their sin and disobedience, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 says, The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. In other words, Adam and Eve were no longer able to experience life as God intended. God's desire was to live among his people, to live among his creation. But Adam and Eve chose to do things their way instead of God's. And as a result, they were no longer fit to live in God's presence. They were driven out of the Garden of Eden. And for the first time in the history of creation, God's space no longer fully overlapped with our space. They were separate. They were distinct. You see, God's space, what we think of as heaven, it continues to be defined by holiness and goodness and righteousness and justice and, and perfection. Because after all, that is where God dwells. But since the fall, Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God in Genesis 3, we've all experienced the fallout and the consequences of God's space no longer fully overlapping with our space. You see, the Garden of Eden was literally heaven on earth. It was perfect, absolutely perfect. But now earth is full of brokenness and sin and pain and death and destruction. And you and I, man, we see evidence of that all around us each and every day. Despite the distinction between God's space and our space, 
these two spaces still partially overlap. Meaning there's still opportunity for people to experience or be in the presence of God. And perhaps you're wondering, well, well, how does that work? That's a fantastic question. Let me tell you how that works. So glad you asked. You see, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, people were still able to experience God's presence by going to the temple. And the first version of the temple was a tent built by Moses. And this tent was known as the tabernacle. And so we have in Exodus chapter 25, 8 and 9, God says to Moses, have them, the Israelites, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, later on, you have King Solomon, and, and he built this massive temple that replaced the tabernacle as, God, as the location of God's presence. And it's interesting and important to note that both the tabernacle and the temple were decorated with imagery that pointed back to the Garden of Eden, the place where God's space and our space fully overlapped. Also, both the tabernacle and the temple included a space known as the Holy of Holies, kind of right in the center of these structures. And it essentially is the hot spot for the presence of God, right? Like with Wi-Fi, you kind of need to be close enough to get access, right? This is kind of the Holy of Holies. It's the hot spot for God's presence. And so the tabernacle followed by the temple became the place where heaven and earth partially overlapped and gave humans the chance to be in the presence of God again. But our space and God's space are still very different. Like I said, right, God's space is defined by goodness and justice and everything that is perfect. And our space still remains messed up, full of sin, destruction, and evil. And so how can these two spaces, which are in such conflict with one another, how can they overlap? And while it's odd, the answer to that question is animal sacrifice, right? It's animal sacrifice. You see, before a priest was able to enter the presence of God, God required that an animal be killed, that an animal be sacrificed. And so in essence, the blood of the animal would absorb the sins of the Israelite, Israelites and create this clean space of sorts that would allow the priest or God's representative for his people to, to be in his presence, thus creating an overlap between God's space and our space. Now there's so much more that, we could, be, that could be said about Old Testament animal sacrifices, and just quite frankly, we don't have time to unpack that right now. But this practice of sacrificing animals went on for hundreds and hundreds of years. But then this guy, Jesus, arrives on the scene. And, and he is said to be God in the flesh, God in human form. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the word for dwelling is tabernacle, just like the tent that Moses set up. 
And so another way to say it is that Jesus, the Son of God, set up his tent among us, his people, his creation. And so perhaps you're starting to connect the dots a little bit. Like the tabernacle and the temple, Jesus himself now serves as the overlap between heaven and earth. However, Jesus doesn't stay in this clean space, right? He doesn't live in isolation trying to avoid being contaminated by the world out there. It's quite the opposite. He lives his life among the world that is full of sin and brokenness. He heals those who are sick. He forgives the sins of the people. He performs miracles. In essence, Jesus is creating little pockets of heaven everywhere he goes where people can be in the presence of God. But he's doing that in, in the midst of the world that is sin and messy and full of sin and death. Now, if, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, then you know that a bunch of people get so envious of and mad at Jesus that they kill him. However, similar to the animal sacrifices at the temple, Jesus becomes a sacrifice for us. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, his blood absorbs our sin, thus paving the way for each and every person to have an opportunity to be in the presence of God by having a relationship with him. And for every person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, heaven and earth overlap in their lives. See, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives in us once we have a relationship with Jesus. And so as more and more people become followers of Jesus, more and more of heaven overlaps or reunites with earth. And perhaps you're wondering though, well, well why would God instruct the Israelites to create a space for him to, to dwell among his people? And why would God then send Jesus to live among us only to die as a sacrifice for us? Well, the answer is because despite our, our sin and how messed up we are, God still loves us and he wants to be with us. And this is essentially the story of the Bible. It's about God's plan to move toward the complete union or overlap of heaven and earth once again as he originally intended when he created the world back in Genesis. And so if you jump from the Gospels, right, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John that, that lay out Jesus' time here when he was doing earthly ministry, if you jump from the Gospels and go to the very last book, the book of Revelation, we begin to discover the rest of God's plan for heaven and earth to fully overlap and what has to transpire before heaven and earth are reunited. And, and of course, there's so much we can say about the book of Revelation and all that leads up to that specific point in history. However, we're going to be doing a teaching series on the book of Revelation this fall. And so we'll dig, dig into that more at that period of time. But for now, it's important for us to know that the new heaven 
and the new earth, when, when heaven and earth are fully reunited again, that's going to take place after the final judgment, which Pastor Chris mentioned briefly in week one of, of our teaching series. And so if we were to jump all the way to Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible. This is where John records this vision of what heaven and earth fully reunited will be like. And essentially, it's a description of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city where God will once again live among his people, just as he did in Genesis 1 and 2. You see, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And when these words become reality, it's just a matter of time, right? When these words become reality, God's space and our space will be completely overlapped again. And this is the version of heaven where we'll spend all eternity. And so when we discuss and explain and think about what heaven's going to be like and, and what we're going to do there, what we're actually talking about is the new heaven and new earth where we're going to spend all of eternity. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's that, what that is like in just a moment. But before we do, you might be wondering, well, if, if that version of heaven has yet to be established, what happens to all the Christians who have already died? Or what happens when I die? See, the Bible doesn't say much about this period of time between Jesus' resurrection when he, when he rose from the grave and the creation of the new heaven and new earth. However, there are a few passages of Scripture that make it very clear that those of us who have a relationship with Jesus will be with Jesus immediately upon our death. See, one of those passages is found in Luke chapter 23. And while hanging on the cross, one of the criminals crucified beside Jesus, he recognized his own need for a Savior. And he turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him by saying, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, Paul also speaks to this and he, and he writes, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul also says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I, may, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruit for la fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. These are the only three passages in Scripture that talk about what happens right when we die. That's it. 
These are the only three passages of Scripture. And the Bible doesn't say much more about this time while we are awaiting the new heaven and new earth and, and all that comes with it. But we can confidently know that those who believe in Jesus will be with him when they die. And so then let's fast forward, though. Let's fast forward to when Jesus does establish this new heaven and new earth. And I don't know about you, but I've got questions, right? I got questions like, what is it going to be like? And what will we do? And will we be able to fly, right? Like this is, I want to know. Now, thankfully, many of our questions can be answered. Since we now have a biblical understanding of heaven, meaning, we know that heaven and earth will reunite. Heaven is no longer this mysterious and mystical place in the clouds that's absolutely impossible to grasp. No, it's not that, right? We know bits and pieces of what our experience in heaven will be like because there is some continuity between our existence on earth now and our existence in the renewed heaven and earth in the future. In other words, there will be some aspects of heaven that are familiar to us, and there will be some aspects of heaven that are different, brand new, and infinitely better than our lives here on earth. And so that being said, let's take a look at chapters of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 to discover what heaven is going to be like. First, they talk about some of the features of heaven. In verse 16, we're told that heaven will be a massive city, and it gives the dimensions of that. We're told how magnificent and beautiful it will be. Verse 11 says, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Later on, we're told that the wall around the city will be made of jasper, and the city itself will be made of gold. The foundation of the city will contain every kind of precious stone, and that each gate of the city will be made of pearl. And of course, the feature that we're most familiar with, the streets will be made of gold. We're also told that a river will flow from the throne of God right through the middle of the city. And on each side of this river will be fruit-bearing trees pointing back to the Garden of Eden. It's also fascinating to know that there will no longer be sun or moon. John writes, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. And i got to be honest with you. If there's no sun in heaven, I'm really hoping that means it never gets above 80 degrees. Like, man, that would be, that'd be awesome. I add that to my wish list. <laughs> and it's great to have an idea of what heaven will look like. But if you're like me, I, I, I'm more curious about how we're going to spend our time and what we're going to do there. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are we going to do in heaven? See, first and foremost, we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God. And I realize that might raise some questions for you. Like, how loud is the music going to be? Do I have to stand the whole time? Right? What if I don't like the songs? Rest assured, though, God will provide comment cards and suggestion boxes that will be read by Pastor Trevor, who can make adjustments in eternity. 
Oh, we're not going to care about that, right? We're not going to be asking those types of questions. We're going to see worship for what it is, a privilege and an honor. And it's something that we will never tire of. John gives us a glimpse of what worship in heaven will be like. He writes, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder. It's going to be loud. Shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to experience what it's going to be like to be with this great multitude as we worship God face to face. And that is first and foremost what we get to do in heaven. In addition to worship, we will also work. Some of you might be surprised by that. You're like, yo, if this is paradise, we should all at least be retired, right? Like we should all be able to do what we want to do, right? I'm not trying to get into heaven to work some other soul-crushing nine-to-five job. But, right, the work that we get to do in heaven will be so much greater than the work that we do here. It's going to be nothing like the time I spent at Old Navy folding stacks of T-shirts only to see somebody come in five minutes later and absolutely destroy it. An exercise in futility. See, our God-given work is going to be one of the ways that we serve the Lord. Pastor Erwin Lutzer writes, Everyone will be assigned a place in the administration of the vast heavenly kingdom. And our assignment will give us joy and fulfillment. And in those times where we're not worshiping or we're not serving the Lord, there are going to be countless other ways that that are going to occupy our time. We're going to be able to meet other people. Lutzer writes, once in heaven we will get to meet a host of others, some known to us in this life or through the pages of church history, others nameless in this world, but equally honored in the world to come. And I can only imagine what conversations with Peter and Moses and Paul and other heroes of the faith are like. Not to mention those who have tremendous stories of faith here on earth, but whose stories were never told. Not only are we going to be able to meet people, but we're going to get to continue to spend time with followers of Jesus we know right now and be reunited with those who have gone to heaven before us. You see, this this relational continuity from our time on earth to eternity in heaven is such an amazing gift from God because the relationships that we care so much about right now and the relationships that we've had that have been paused due to death, those will continue to flourish. Lutzer also speaks to some of the other aspects of heaven that will be familiar to us. He writes, We will most probably continue many of the same projects we knew on earth. Artists will do art as never before. The scientist just might be invited to continue his or her exploration of God's magnificent creation. The musicians will do music and all of us will continue learning. And while all of these things are great, what I'm most excited about is that we will continue to eat. Awesome! Right? And you know the food's going to be good. That's going to be fantastic. Now, so far our description of heaven 
has, has been in the, this realm of activities that we're already familiar with here on earth. But like we said, it will be so much different and so much better than life on earth. And of greatest significance is that we will be with God in heaven. We've already read Revelation 21 verse 3 talks about God dwelling with us. We can't miss that. Because at the end of the day, nothing else really matters as long as we're in the presence of God. We'll have the experience or the privilege of experiencing his glory and being in his presence for all eternity. And of course, God's presence in heaven also impacts our experience. John goes on to write in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see, these are things that are, are present in our lives now because we live in a world that is broken and full of sin. But when we get to heaven, all of that goes away. Evil, injustice, racism, unrest, the corrupting influence of this world will cease to exist in his presence. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to experience that. And last but not least, when the new heaven and new earth are established, we will receive our resurrection bodies. And Paul compares our earthly body with our resurrection body in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 and 44. He says, The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. And while we may not fully understand all of the implications of that, of Paul's words, we know when it comes to our bodies, we're getting a huge upgrade, right? No more achy knees, no more hair falling out, no more extra weight. A huge upgrade. Our bodies will be perfect, but will we be able to fly? Will we be able to fly? Now, regarding our resurrection bodies, Lutzer writes, our future body will be like Christ's resurrection body. The continuity between Christ's earthly and heavenly, our post-resurrection body, was clear to see. For example, the nail prints were in his hands after he rose from the dead. Right, The disciples were able to see that. He was also able to eat food. But there were also radical changes. He was able to travel from one place to another without physical effort and went through doors without opening them. Evidently, we too shall be able to travel effortlessly. Just as Christ could be in Galilee and then suddenly appear in Judea, so we shall be able to be free from the limitations of terrestrial travel. All you will need to do, to do is decide where you would like to be and you will be there. Now, of course, we can't be entirely sure that's how it's going to play out. But if it does, it sounds more like teleporting than flying, right? But I'll take it either way. It sounds awesome. Why does any of this matter, though? Like, why, why does it matter? And, and it's phenomenal that we can understand a little bit more about heaven. And, and maybe it's even comforting to us to a degree. But why does it matter? See, Pastor Chris said, what we believe about eternity impacts how we live our lives now. And with this biblical understanding of heaven, 
We now know that Christians are meant to be the picture of heaven on earth right now. God dwells in us. So we are like a mobile unit of God's presence, just like Jesus was. Does that mean we're live perfect lives? Of course not. Until we're with Jesus, we're going to continue to sin. We're going to continue to mess up. But if we are meant to be an expression of God's presence to the world, then how we live our lives right now, it matters. You see, Paul says that our bodies serve as God's temple because he resides in us. And for this reason, we are called to live holy and righteous lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, how do we do that? We have to make an effort to care for ourselves physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It means we do everything we can and we strive to avoid sin. It means we do our very best to follow Jesus' example and apply scripture to our lives in the hopes that heaven will take over more of earth, one family, one person, one family, one neighborhood, and one city at a time. And so as Christ followers, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I living out my call to be holy and righteous? Am I living as an expression of God's presence in this world? See, there's, there's still so much we don't know about heaven. But it's clear from what we do know that it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And no matter what, it's going to pale into, in comparison to whatever we think it's going to be right now in our mind's eye. We, we can't fully understand it. Unfortunately, not everyone's going to get to experience it. You see, only those who have put their faith in Jesus on this side of heaven will be allowed to be in God's presence. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one gets through the Father except through me. And while this is a very, very exclusive claim, it's Christianity or bust. That's it. The invitation is open to everyone. And so have you put your faith in Jesus for your salvation? And if that's a decision you have yet to make, I would encourage you and invite you to make that decision today. You can pray a simple prayer acknowledging that you need a Savior, that there's sin in your life, and that you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, and that you choose to turn to Jesus, and that you'll trust him to forgive you for your sins and grant you access to eternal life. And once you make that decision, you can know that heaven and earth will overlap in your life. And you can know that you will spend your eternity in the presence of God. 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.